Okay. Um, this is the Fiction Old and New Book Group. Today is Friday, February 3rd, 2023. Um, tonight we're discussing uh, Ralph Ellison's book, Invisible Man. I'm going to just give you a little information about Ralph Ellison. As you can imagine, there's, there's quite a bit about him. So this is just some kind of basic information. So Ralph Waldo Ellison, and if that sounds like Ralph Waldo Emerson, he was actually named after Ralph Waldo Emerson, um, was born in 1913 in Oklahoma City, uh, Oklahoma. His father was a construction worker and his mother was a domestic. Um, his father died when he was only three years old. And, um, he, you know, he his family was, was poor, actually, growing up. Um, he was encouraged in his love of reading by his mother. And his mother used to bring him books that she borrowed from the homes of people uh, of the homes of people whose houses she cleaned. And an interesting thing was at that time in Oklahoma City in the 1920s, there was no black library. There was only a library that was for white people. There was segregation. So they took some books from the white library and they actually put it up. They actually brought it into um, a, um, it was a pool hall actually. So Ralph, Ralph Ellison would actually go there when he was a child and there was no librarian or anything. So he would just sort of select whatever books he wanted to read. And that was how he had access to a lot of different kinds of books that probably as a child, um, he wouldn't have normally had. Um, he, and he went to college at Tuskegee Institute in Alabama on a music scholarship. Um, he didn't finish college. He went for a couple of years. Um, and then he moved to New York City. And he had a whole bunch of different types of jobs. He worked as a photographer. He worked as an audio engineer. Um, he, and then he started writing short stories. And he also met um, a lot of the people that were involved in the, in the Harlem Renaissance, um, whose names are escaping me, Langston Hughes and, and, and some other people. Um, during World War II, he served in the Merchant Marines. And in 1938, he married Rosa Poindexter, who was an actress. And they divorced five years later after he admitted that he had an affair. Um, his second wife, Fanny McConnell, um, was also a writer, and they lived together for many years. They had a successful marriage. Um, his wife actually supported him financially for, for a bunch of the beginning of their, of their marriage. Um, he spent seven years working on Invisible Man, and he actually wrote most of the book, most of the story in an office that was in the back of a jewelry store on Fifth Avenue. I don't know why that was. That just, was just a sort of a fact that I read about him. Um, the book was published in 1952, and it won the National Book Award in 1953. Um, his second novel, Juneteenth, was published in 1999, which was at after he had actually died. Um, he, the draft for this book was actually destroyed in a fire in 1967. Um, and he basically spent the rest of his life, you know, rewriting this book. Um, he also wrote a whole bunch of essays. Um, one of them is in a collection called Shadow and Act in 1964 that I read is very well regarded. And the other is going to the territory in 1986. Um, and he also taught at a lot of different universities too. And he died in 1994 in New York City. And then the, the last fact that I'll mention is um, President Obama, when he was writing his book, Dreams, Dreams from My Father, or Dreams, I think it's Dreams from My Father, um, he said that this book, Invisible Man, was the inspiration for that book that he wrote. Um, so I am, um, okay, I wrote down a couple of thoughts that I had about this book. Um, I know we have a, a small crowd tonight, and I know not everybody has read Invisible Man. So 
um, I'm going to kind of offer people two options. Um, I, I wasn't sure how many people would come. So I, I didn't, originally I was just going to have people raise their hands if they wanted to talk, but with this size group, I think I could call on people. So I'm going to offer you two options. One option is if you've read Invisible Man and you want to make any comments about the book, that's fine. And the other option is um, if you have not read the book or you don't want to discuss the book, um, if you want to tell us about another classic book that you've read that you've enjoyed, um, that's an option. Or the third option is you can just listen. Um, so I thought, how about a fourth option of doing both? Yes. Thank you. You're you're quite right. That, that is the correct answer. Um, so, um, you know, over, I've been coming into an accessible world for, I don't know, at least 10 years now. And I've heard people mention several times that, um, they read a lot of classic books when they were in college. So I started thinking, you know, did I read any classic books when I was in college? <laughs> As it turned out, I don't think that I actually did. Um, when I went to college, um, I went to Hofstra University, which is in Long Island, New York. It's like a small college. And my major was political science and my minor was accounting. And they also had a lot of requirements at Hofstra. Um, you had to take foreign language. You had to take science. You had to, like I had all these required classes between my major and my minor, I really hardly took any electives. And I don't remember taking any literature classes when I was in college. I mean, I haven't looked at my transcript, but I'm pretty sure I didn't. So I sat down and I made a list of classic books that I've read since college. <laughs> so just to see what I've actually read. So I'm going to list them, um, the ones that I remember that I read. And if I particularly liked it, I'm just going to mention it. Um, so I read Great Expectations. I read uh, Crime and Punishment. I read Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre is actually one of my favorite books. I've read that multiple times. Um, Pride and Prejudice. Uh, Madame Bovary, which I've also read more than once. Um, Anna Karenida, which is a fabulous book. Um, last year, I read for the very first time, and I loved it, Middlemarch by George Eliot. I was very intimidated to read this book. I thought it would be really hard. It's really not. It's it's a not a difficult book to read, and it's very absorbing. It's it's about all the people that live in Middlemarch. I was very surprised how much I liked it. Um, I've read The Sun Also Rises. I've read that actually multiple times. Um, the Great Gatsby, um, Lolita, uh, The Age of Innocence, My Antonia, uh, An American Tragedy, Sister Carrie. The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath, which also I've read multiple times. Um, Catcher in the Rye. And then interestingly, for tonight's book, I read Native Son by Richard Wright a long time ago. I don't really remember it that well. Um, and in terms of Invisible Man, I I'm just make a few comments. Um, so I, I did like the book. Um, I, I, I know it was long. I know it was episodic. I know there was a lot, you know, it could have been cut down, I'm sure. Um, but there were a lot of very striking things about this book that, I, that I'm glad that I read it. Um, one thing that I thought that was really terrific was I thought he really draws characters and dialogue very, very well. Um, the, these, um, these men were really vivid, really easy to imagine the way that they talked. It, it seemed very lively and lifelike to me. Um, I would say with respect to women, I thought he lived a little bit on the Madonna horror spectrum, you know, like a woman was either a Madonna like Mary or like the women, the white women that wanted to, you know, sleep with him a little bit on the horror spectrum. Um, I didn't think he did a great job with women, but I thought he did a really good job with men. Um, I also thought he did a really good job with place. I, I felt like I was in the South. I felt like I was in Harlem in the 1930s. There was just a, a really strong sense of, of place for me. Um, there were a lot of memorable scenes in this, in this book. Um, the, one of the most famous scenes is what they call the battle Royale scene, which was towards the beginning of the book, which was horrific. Um, 
you know, the the scene where he's making the speech when the family was was kicked, the older couple was kicked out, evicted out of their home. Um, the speech that he made at um, the funeral, um, you know, the the looting. Uh, there was just a lot of really kind of memorable scenes. I don't know if this has ever been made into a movie. Um, I, if it hasn't, I'm surprised that it hasn't. Um, I didn't know that the narrator was an orator. I, I, I mean, I actually really didn't know very much about this book at all. I knew it was I knew it was published in the 1950s. I knew it was about race. That's all I knew about it. Um, it was interesting the way he spoke. It, it really was like the way he spoke at Todd Lifton's funeral. He's had this sort of circular way of talking, but it really it held my attention. Um, and then I would just say, lastly. Um, you know, all the looting, the, the shooting of, by the police officer, all that stuff, you know, very contemporary things that you could turn on the television and, and hear about today. Um, two questions that I had for the group, um, if you're so inclined to answer. Um, one is, you know, who, who, who exactly is this narrator? Like, what is his psychological profile? Who is he? Like, what was your impression of him? And then the other question that I had was, why did the college professor, a president, act the way he did? Because I was really, I don't know, I found him too much and too vindictive, you know, for for what actually happened. So, um, you know what, I'm going to just... I'm going to ask for volunteers, I guess. Um, would anybody like to talk first or um, or not at all? <laughs> I, I don't mind going first, Jana. Okay. Go ahead. So first of all, I want to apologize, Michelle, too, for I think I said some things that led please, to some confusion no, no 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 don't don't even worry about it. it was it was you know what i talked to my good friend sherry wells about this and she told me she said michelle you were too sensitive she told me the truth it was it was me it was not you so don't even bother okay well thank you anyway uh i think that this was a very important book or is an, an important book with a message that we all need to hear. I like the way he describes the differences in black people um, as to how to solve their problems. And, you, you know, you have those who want peaceful solutions and those who want more action. And then of course you have white people trying to, tell black people how to solve their problems. <laughs> and it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the differences between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, M Martin Luther King wanting a peaceful approach and Malcolm X being more aggressive. And the narrator of this book kind of goes through that journey. He wants first, he wants education and he, ends up being wherever the action is. And then in the end, he just kind of decides that he's invisible. And of course we can all, we can certainly draw a lot of comparisons between the way black people are treated and the way blind people are treated because we're often treated by the public as though we are invisible. So it, his journey I think is, is interesting trying to figure out where he stands on all of this. It's horrible. He, he ends up in a sewer at the end of the book. It's just sad. And also, I guess I would mention one of my favorite classics would be uh, Weathering Heights. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I would still feel this way because the last time I read the book, I was 13. And I don't know if <laughs> if I would still like it as much as I did then. But at that time, I thought it was absolutely wonderful. Oh, that's great. Well, th thank you very much for, for, for starting us off. And yeah, that's so interesting. I, I've often thought about that comparison between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Mm -hmm. the different ways that they that they approach things and you're right i mean he did go through a lot of different um 
identities and, and, and trying to figure out who, who he was. Um, and, you know, it, it didn't work out for this reason. It didn't work out for that reason, whatever, yeah. but it, it is a lot about identity. And so it um, makes you, it makes you sort of think that there are no solutions or that there's that nothing yeah. is working. Yeah, I think that's right. Actually, maybe maybe that's the whole point of the whole book is that there really is no solutions, and they're really and that people just kind of try on different things and and do the best they can. You're right. Actually, I think so. I didn't realize until you mentioned it in your email that you uh, ask us to read a classic every year, and I'm this is my first year for that. So I'm I'm really glad to see that because there's a lot of things I have not read. So I'll be looking yeah. forward to the next one. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I'm, I'll pick a shorter one next time. I, that that I, I learned a lesson. Not such a long book. Um, okay. okay. Um, can, can, I, can I go next? Can I go next? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I, I'm glad you picked this book because you know I, I've been aware of it for you know a, a long, long time, but have never read it. And, and, and my list of classic books that I've read is a whole lot shorter than the one you gave. So, uh, but uh, the, the, you know. I, I grew up in the deep South and, you know, you know, we ought to be apologized for how we've treated blacks for, for all the rest of my days, at least. And then probably well on into the future. So, but I have to say, I have just never been clear on a lot of the stuff that he covered in this. This was all new to me about, how the, the, the you know the, the different blacks in this book the, the, there's like, like Jana was saying there's there seems to be like two different factions and stuff and and I don't really understand I, I would think and it, and it's like everything else you, you always think I, I I've always wondered why we have an ACB and an NFB so I mean it's it, it, it the, the whole kind of the trend carries forward there's there's always two sides of every coin I guess and it's just uh, it it, it it, it's funny to me how uh, the, the the different sides of, of the whole race thing is, is presented, you know, from from the from the black perspective and stuff. And it's uh, uh, it I, I, I I'm still, of course, you know, I've never been black, so you know, I hadn't had to deal with any of this stuff. But uh, uh, you know, the it seemed like the the guys that that hired him to be like their spokesperson. Were they were those guys white? Were the most of them white? The ones that, was it the Brotherhood? What do they call themselves? I'm, I'm trying to remember what they call. The impression most of them were white. Not not all uh, okay. of them. Okay, okay. Well, I I never really got a a, a a good clear feeling for what what their ultimate goal was and stuff. But 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 hey, it, it may have just been over my head, I guess. But a, a couple of things I I, I did want to say. I read the the Wikipedia article on Booker T. Washington, and and, and I highly recommend it to anybody if you want to. Uh, obviously, a, a lot of this in the book is seems to be based on uh, Booker. Booker T. Washington sounded like the founder, and, and the institute where he came from sounded a lot like Tuskegee, which makes sense since that's where you know Ellison went. But uh, uh, I, I wish I had read that Wikipedia article before I started the book; it would have helped me understand a little bit more. But uh, another thing that I thought was interesting that, uh, you know, I'm going to try to inject humor whenever I can in this kind of stuff. If I ever do anything uh, horrific or criminal and stuff, I'm going to say, man, I was just dreaming it like that true blood guy did, you know, for you know, he was making excuses for sleeping with his daughter and stuff and, yeah. and fathering a child with her. So, oh, I, I was dreaming. It. I was dreaming it. I couldn't believe yeah. it. But, uh, uh, you know, I thought that was I thought that was kind of comical. But I mean, Ellison was obviously brilliant. And uh, I, I listened to that podcast that you that you provided the link to. And it, it, it seemed like he got a little full of himself. I, I mean, of course, anybody that, that does this kind of wins the National Book Awards, obviously going to have a big ego and stuff. But it, it seemed like at the end of the day, he got more concerned with 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 being thought of as, as being one of the great literary forces in the world and stuff, and maybe less concerned about maybe racial issues. But, uh, uh, that, that's just my opinion. I don't know if that's right or not, but he, 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 he obviously, uh, 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 that, that, that was important to him. And, uh, my, my favorite classic book is, uh, 
The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas. But uh, I, I like a good tale with with a lot of action and stuff. And if any, if anybody's ever read that, you, you, you know it's got plenty of that. So, uh, uh, but uh, anyway, I know I hadn't really said much anything, but uh, I, I, I'm glad. I mean, I read the whole book. I'm glad I read it. Uh, it's good to be exposed to to some of this. I'm not going to pretend that I understand it, understood it all, but hey, there you go. Well, I, I think that Ralph Ellison was a little bit involved with the Communist Party when he was younger. He was exposed to them, um, yeah. I think, from Richard Wright and, and other Black authors that he met. So right, my right. impression, and I don't know that this is true, was the Brotherhood was a little bit based on those kind of socialist, communist kind of principles. And one of the things that was interesting in that paint factory, if you remember that scene where they mm-hmm. had the paint, but in order to get it truly white, they had to put a few drops of black in, which <laughs> I found, yeah. I found yeah. that thing. I thought, yeah. how how interesting that, that you would have to add that to sort of make it more more white. Um, right, and, and right. Everything that I listened to about Ralph Ellison the last couple of weeks, he definitely was not like well liked, and he didn't try to ingratiate himself with anybody. And right. He yeah. Got a lot of himself, and he wasn't that involved in the civil rights movement. He didn't really, you know, um, you know, a, a lot of black leaders, uh, James Baldwin, whatever you know, they were much more involved than, than he was. So he was, a, I think, a really complicated person, really I'm complicated. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm so sure. Yeah, I'm yeah. not interested enough in him to read a biography, but they had like a program on him. I probably would watch it. So, you know, like right. an hour program or something like that. So I think you're right. He was kind of full of himself, definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, and back to your point with, with the whole paint, the whole paint symbolic scene and stuff, I mean, let, let, let's face it, the the people that act really white and act like real buttheads and stuff, they're they're doing it when they've got lower, uh, you know, people that they consider below them. Usually, it's going to be somebody that's less white than they are. That's a, you know that's brown or a darker color and stuff. And, and it really, I think that's what brings out the assholeness in them. If you want my honest opinion, sorry, sorry for the language, but they. Uh, uh, j- j- just my perspective. Yeah, no, it, it, sometimes it's very hard to, um, I find at least being a white person, it is hard for me sometimes to understand that black people always assume a lot, not always, I shouldn't say always assume, but my experience with black friends that I've had over the years is that a lot of times they see things a lot more in racial terms than I do. And they assume that the world runs that way. And I really didn't realize that because when I grew up, I I didn't really grow up around a lot of black people and I didn't really meet black people until I started working. Um, But, but they, their experience is different than my experience. And I, I try to understand that um, because I, I don't, I don't, think in terms of you know race as much i think um maybe because i had like you said i haven't really had to um yeah. it, it's it's interesting yeah and well, well, I, mean, I want to say one last thing it, uh, along with jana's point i found that since i've lost my eyesight and, and and when i go i mean and we've got blacks everywhere where i live if i go into a store like a like a popeye's chicken or anything like that I, I get treated more kindly from black people than I ever do from white people because yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's, it's like Jana said, I, I think it's because they've experienced some of the same stuff that the blind have experienced and stuff. And, you know, they, they've got bigger hearts and stuff. I don't know. And, and you know, I, I know I'm generalizing, but, uh, uh, you know, but, but there, I, you know, I've had more than my share, so I'll stop now. So. But, um, this is Sally. Oh, hi, Sally. Okay. Um, I did. I did not read the book. I had a lot of other stuff to do this month, but I want to make two comments. Are there any African Americans in this group, or are I we don't, all white? I, I, I don't think that there's any African Americans in Accessible World. Do you? Okay. Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't yeah, think I, I used just, to come to our group. I just she, wondered if, you know, 
I just wondered, you know, because I I thought when we started the conversation, you know, white was the default mechanism, but, you know, I, I guess that's true. Also, I wanted to agree with Jenna and Alan. Yeah, we, at least I have had the same experience with blacks since I lost all my vision. I will get a lot more help, a lot more respect, and just, you know, I can be on an elevator with somebody, and someone who's black will talk to me, and someone who's white might get off the elevator and I didn't even know they were on. Mm. Um, You know, so I think it's the fact that, you know, we we both, uh, we both have had Similar situations, not the same, but similar. And no able-bodied white person wants to be us. I I have found it curious that that there's not a lot of Black people in accessible world over the years. I, I wondered why that was. I mean, I don't know. Maybe in tech talks, are there people that are involved that... That because the book groups, it doesn't seem to me, I, I can't tell unless somebody identifies themselves that way, but it, I've yeah. not really heard anybody that I assumed was black. Yeah, I, I just I, wondered because yeah. we, you know, because we're talking as though nobody's here is black, and I just wanted to make sure that, you know, that was true or not. Mm-hmm. Just wondered. <laughs> Hi, hi, Deanna. How are you? I'm sorry, I'm late. Hi, I know That's it's okay. been one of those days. <laughs> would I? I think. Did you read the book? Yes. What would you like to share any comments about the book? And also, we also um, are offering you the opportunity, if you'd like, to mention a classic book that you've read mm-hmm. over the that you've really enjoyed. Oh. Michelle, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention. I love Jane Eyre, I love Middlemarch, and my favorite um, not-so-recent past classic is, as Alan knows, Rebecca. <laughs> yes. yes, you have to mention Rebecca. Rebecca Rebecca's yeah. definitely a classic. Yeah. I'm How many times have you read Jane Eyre, would you say? Have you read it more than once? I've read I read it first in the third grade, and I've read it every couple of years since then. Yeah, yeah. it's I, I've read it about five times actually. I love Jane Eyre too. I really do. And as I mentioned, I read Middlemarch for the first time last year. I'm definitely going to read it again. I was astonished at how good this book is. <laughs> yeah, I I read um, I heard part of No Love and Sloth serialized on BBC, and I thought. I really like George Eliot. I should read yeah. more of her stuff. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But, Deanna, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No no problem. Okay. I downloaded both versions and listened to a few minutes of each and decided the one that was read by the Texas, um, you know, volunteer reader really didn't capture the rhythm of the writing the way I thought it should have been. (laughs) So I went with the other recording first, and then I found it really slow going because I think it's more of an allegory because it was as if this young man, no matter who he trusted or had faith in, they all turned their back on him except the people he turned his back on. Um, you know, like his first landlady sneaking Uh off, you know, figuring he had done his duty when he gave her some money, um, not really checking on her to make sure she was okay. Um, so that kind of struck me that it was not meant to be a narrative of the author's young manhood and struggle. Um, it was as if everyone he met tried to use him in some way. 
And yet, you know, he really did have some people that weren't trying to use him. And he didn't seem to recognize them very well. Um, that was what I got out of it. It made me very uncomfortable in many places. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the topics that he was discussing. Like, I do understand that when you dehumanize somebody, um, like the relationship with the white married woman, um, that he was not a real person to her. And no. I think that was the thing that was, you know, he was a, a character in her fantasy. And um, to the, the man that drew him in in the first place, he was just a symbol. And he lost his value at some point because they decided to change the direction of what they were doing so he went really out of his way to to force the young man into this role of black leader and then took it away from him um so there were a lot of people that were not treating him as a real human being or bothering to find out who he was and thus the title of invisible man because they saw him as an object. Um, they didn't see him as an individual, a person. Um, to some extent, even his first landlady there um, saw him as a symbol of, of youth and education that she didn't have. And she wanted him to be a leader because she knew that the people needed a leader. Um, and he had a talent and she thought he should use it. But I think she genuinely did care about him because she put up with a lot, you know, him just sort of wandering around aimlessly and living off of her for months. Um, yes. So I think it was a coming of age book in a way. Um, but I did find it a hard read. I don't think I'll ever read it again. <laughs> Um, well, you're always so good at, at psychological analysis. And I, I wondered, what what did you think of him? Like, who was he exactly? I mean, we, we never got he his was very. He was very. Uh, I, he was very naive. Because he did have people in his life trying to tell him what to expect out of life, but he refused to listen to them. Like he never forgot his grandfather's comments and yet he never listened to them either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so he was very naive and, you know, to, to trust that that school principal had his best interests in him when he wanted him to go into some kind of a free for all fight, that made no sense that- at all. I, I didn't even understand why he reacted as strongly as he did. I, I just felt it was too much the mm-hmm. his way he acted towards him. And he wrote those horrible letters that yeah. he gave him, you know, and, and he wouldn't didn't want want him to come back to school. And I just thought, what did he do that was so terrible? He took the guy inside a bar. I mean, it was I don't know, it just it seemed too much to it, me. Yeah, that that's why I say that it was more allegorical because Rational people don't behave the way a lot of the characters did towards him. Yeah. And the ones that did want to help him, like the the young wealthy man who was acting as secretary to his father, he genuinely wanted to help him. Yeah. But he didn't want to listen. And it was like anytime someone was trying to give him some guidance, he would just get the bit in his teeth and say, nope, nope, not going to do that, <laughs> you know, no matter yeah. what it was. And that, that's I mean, I also thought of it as a coming of age story because he does have all these episodes where he's trying on this identity and trying on that identity. And it, it felt that way to me also. You yeah. know what I found very curious? The fact that he ran into Mr. Norton at the end. Mm-hmm. But what the heck is he doing here? <laughs> After all this time, right? Why is, 
all the characters, there are so many characters in this book. Why is he picking, why is this the one character that he runs into at the end? I just, I found that so curious. Who doesn't even remember him. Didn't remember him at all. No, exactly. Because, you know, obviously the man was on his own struggles with possibly an unhealthy interest in the daughter that died. And, uh, was fascinated by the response of the the community to the the black man that molested his own daughter. Uh, true mm. blood, yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. all of these characters were so bizarre that it was hard to care about them. Yeah. Um, the yeah. only one I happened to like was was Mary. <laughs> yeah. 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 She yeah. was a decent person who cared about this young man that she saw on the street, obviously in distress. And she didn't have a whole lot. No. no. But he was young and he was hurt. And she felt like, well, if I don't do something, who's going to? Yeah. yeah. She was definitely the nicest character in the whole book. And I, I was <laughs> saying earlier that um, I thought Ralph Ellison did a pretty good job of drawing male characters. But when it came to women, he, he lived a little bit on the Madonna horror spectrum. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, you, know, you were like either the best woman or the worst woman. There wasn't really much in between. So I thought, you know, whatever. No, he never really saw them as human themselves either. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But you're right, actually. I mean, there really weren't a lot of really nice people in the story. The doctor, the, the black doctor in the insane asylum, he was trying to tell it like it was. <laughs> yeah. And the kid yeah. was not going to listen, no matter what. And that's yeah. what I meant. Every time there was somebody that was trying to set him straight and give him something to work with, he just you know, headed in the opposite direction all the time, even with with Mary, as sweet and as um, caring as she was, the whole incident about the bank was bizarre. Yeah. Because yeah. it was never clear where it came from or who it belonged to or how it got where it was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, you, you make a lot of really, really good points, actually. I was I was reading this book and I said to myself, I wonder what Deanna's, because you're always good with psychoanalog- uh, psychological profiles. I said, I wonder what she's going to make of the narrator. So, <laughs> so I got to ask you that question, which is good. Uh, well, that's yeah, all I could say. Sure, Joni. Oh, I'm sorry. I just wondered if I could speak next because uh, um, under the thumb of this, person that I can't stand. And the owner of this place says I can choose the time that I want to go to bed. And this woman is really not very nice. I really don't care for her. But anyway, I did not read the book. Um, I, but I, I just want to talk about classics. Um, when Michelle mentioned the different classics that she had read, I read an awful lot of them, and um, ones that I, well, I love Jane Eyre, too. I think I read it maybe three times. I loved David Copperfield and Oliver Twist, and I read them in Braille, and I was in social work school when I read Oliver Twist, and it was a relief for me to get away from studying for a few minutes. And I would carry these Braille books on the bus and on the train. I could barely carry them, and I would read when I was waiting for a bus or a train. And and I, I really... Oliver Twist was really something else. And I read The Catcher in the Rye. And when I was in college, um, I read Gulliver's Travels, which I thought was fantastic. And, um, well, the David Copperfield thing, I was supposed to read it for a class in high school. And I never got the book. 
And the last day of school came, and I got the book from Recording for the Blind. That's how it was in those days. You didn't know when you would get parts of a book. You didn't know. And you called libraries, and you couldn't get the books. And, oh, I went through a, a lot of horrors in my high school and college experiences that I got through. But um, I just wanted to say that um, I I tried to get the podcast of the Ralph Ellison thing, and I didn't know how to get it because I saw NPR, and I and it just wouldn't play for me, so I didn't listen to it. Um, I'm what's sorry. interesting is Go ahead. What's interesting is the um, the book that we're supposed to read for novel ideas of the I can't remember the name of it, but Demon Copperhead. Sawbones. Oh, Sawbones. I'm sorry, wrong group. Sawbones. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm talking about the Copperhead thing. Yeah. Yeah. World, that's oh, worlds yeah. of books. Worlds of books. Yeah. yeah. Worlds of books. Oh my yeah. God, yeah. I get things mixed up. Don't mind me, I'm old. Um, it's an, an interesting phenomenon that this guy, or whoever, the character, I guess, uh, likened himself to the David Copperfield experience. <laughs> Well, suppose so now I'm going to start. Yeah, supposedly, I mean, there's there. I've never read David Copperfield, but supposedly there's a lot of similarities between the two books. So maybe when you yeah. read Copperhead, you'll say, "Oh, yeah. I recognize this. I recognize that." You know, from David Copperfield. Oh yeah, I did already. I started reading it, and I saw um, names were changed, but it's it's uh, it's it's very interesting. But I guess I'll read Sawbones first. So thank you for letting me speak. Oh, no, it's thank you very much, actually. Um, oh, one yeah. more thing. Okay. I found that that black people also are far more uh, helpful and kinder in situations where you're, where you need help. And, and I think it, it is the fact that they feel that we have experienced some of the things that they have. Yeah. And uh, white people can be nasty to us. And, and mostly they can act like we're not even there. Mm -hmm. We're yeah. invisible to them. So thanks for letting me speak. I, I'm sorry. Um, Michelle? I'm sorry. Yes. Go ahead. I, I just wanted to see if I could say one more quick thing. Yeah, of course. Uh, okay. So this might be kind of simplistic, but I was thinking that maybe the book was exaggerated in some places just to make a point, just to, to bring attention to what he was trying to say. I, I have heard a counselor one time say, if you knock on the door and somebody doesn't answer, what do you do? You just knock harder. Yeah. I mean, that certainly makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I'm he, he it, it was a very um, there was a lot of anger in the book yeah mm -hmm. and i guess that's what distressed me because coming from a, a background where there was a lot of domestic violence in my childhood mm. anger scares me <laughs> i don't let it stop me but it does um make me very uncomfortable I think it would anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've, I'm, I'm sorry. I've been waiting for a very long time to talk. So I'm, sure. <laughs> I'm going to talk now. Go okay. for it, Liz. Go for it. Yes. Um, I have read this book three times. And the first time was as an 18-year-old freshman in college, and it made no sense to me at all. Um, but this last time, I, I read it very much as Deanna did, as an allegory, um, that you know, it just seems such a juxtaposition that this 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 guy, the invisible guy, seemed to always be put 
up front as a shining star or somebody, you know, somebody who was going to be somebody big, right? Until he did anything that was human, okay? <laughs> and then they would totally, he was betrayed by everyone. Um, I wonder if Norton, he met Norton, because if you think about it, Norton was uh, there. He was the one that really derailed his his hope and his future. If I'm remembering correctly, Norton was the guy he was he was riding around, right? He yeah. took into the yeah. Right. So if it hadn't been for for his interaction with Norton, he very well could have finished college and gone on to do what he wanted to do. So the fact that Norton was really kind of the the, the um, um, catalyst for for his dreams all kind of just falling apart. Um, I don't know why um, the college president reacted the way he did either. It was just crazy. Other than don't embarrass us and you embarrass us. You showed you showed this guy, you took him into things that are embarrassing to us as a people. Um, and so for that, you have to pay with the rest of your life. Um, but I, it just seemed like he was objectified all of his life. And when you objectify somebody, you deny them their humanity. Um, and when you deny, I mean, you just make them invisible. And at the end, he just, you know, I, I, that was my read on it. It's just he had been objectified by everybody and in every situation that he had been in. And uh, nobody really saw him as a human being. So they saw him as the person or the personality that they wanted to see him as. Um, but I, I liked the book. I'm glad that we read it. It was a difficult read, but I think it is an important read. There's so many different, I think just as we've talked about tonight, there's just so many different angles that you can take on this book from a very personal to a very, very social. <laughs> so, um, uh, thank you. Can I ask you why you, why did you read the book three times? Were there different, was it for school or? What, I, what? The first time was for school uh, in college. The, the the most recent time before this one was when Audible offered it as a free book. And I remember uh, yeah. I remember wanting to read that again because it, it mm -hmm. I didn't understand it and I knew that it was it felt like an important classic, you know. Yes. Um so I read it that time and then this time was a nice refresher. Um I don't know. I'm not gonna say I would never read it again. <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay. So, is, is um, there a classic book that you've read over the years that you particularly enjoyed? I was a literature minor in college, so I read a lot of the classic books. Um, but I, I really did like um, Jane Eyre and Middlemarch. Um, yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm not alone in Jane Eyre and Middlemarch, which I really like too. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Deanna, is there a classic book that you've read over the years that you've particularly liked? Me? Yes. Oh, sorry. Okay. Um, I've read an awful lot of classics, um, starting with the children's ones, you know, the Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm, Heidi, you know, um, the uh, Wind in the Willows, all the way up through um, stuff like... Oh, Withering Heights and Jane Eyre. I did like Jane Eyre. Um, although, of course, it kind of ends bizarrely in that, you know, the characterization of the blind Rochester and all of that is a little bit. But I think it reflects the views of the time and attitude toward blindness. Um, I I liked Tale of Two Cities. I guess I, I liked books that showed people being um, brave and getting through things and surviving on whatever terms they could, because that was a lot of what I was doing at the time. Yeah. So okay. those are the ones that I remember. Michelle? Hi, Marsha. Hi. And I also would like to apologize, um, but I, I did not read the book. I tried reading it back when, when Audible did offer it free. And I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't get into it. So That's I, okay. doubt, I doubt that I will read it. 
Um, but I wanted to be here tonight to gather other people's perspectives as to what they thought of the book to see if okay. I might want to read it at some point. Um, I doubt that that'll happen, but I'm just, I'm glad that I am here so I can hear what other people had, had to uh, say. I wanted to get their viewpoints and I have read, pardon? Oh, I was going to ask you if there's a classic book. That oh you've yeah. Written. Well, yeah. I read, I read uh, Catcher in the Rye of just not all that long ago, four or five years ago. And I really did not like uh, Holden Caulfield. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was, he was quite the character. Uh, I read The Great Gatsby in college and I really enjoyed that book. I might read that one again. I, I was, I've been kind of kicking that around. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I have not read Jane Eyre or um, Middlemarch or any of those. That's a possibility too. But um, I read uh, I read uh, Great Expectations in uh, high school. Yeah, mm -hmm. I remember reading that one. And uh, yeah, it was good. I I enjoyed Great Expectations. And um, ah, I'm you guys have read a lot more classics than me. Uh, Grapes of Wrath is another one of my favorites. It is mm -hmm. mine too. Yeah. I love Grapes yeah. of Wrath. And I, I guess that that's about it, really. But I mean, there's more that I can't come up with off, off the yeah. top of my head. So yeah. it took me a while. I sat down for a long time to try to remember. If I if somebody asked me on the spot, I wouldn't be able to remember. I'd be yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Marsha, I so. missed the last title that you mentioned. Grapes of Wrath. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, I love that book. Oh, yeah. That's, Steinbeck yeah. was one of my favorite authors. Oh, of, yeah. Absolutely. Yes, and Travels with Charlie. Oh, right. I did not read that one, but I, I really want to get into reading more John Steinbeck. Oh, I love that. He's traveling oh, yeah. around the country with his poodle, Charlie. Aw. <laughs> oh. yeah, and it sounds like a book that I missed that I should have read. <laughs> yeah, same here, Deanna. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. I loved it. I love John, John Steinbeck, too. Yeah. Well, he's one of those writers that, despite whatever the people are experiencing, they are real people and they manage, yeah. they mm -hmm. cope. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just I... have a question about the Harlem Renaissance. Um, sure. Michelle mentioned that. I was listening to a program on the radio a couple of days ago. I listened to BBC a lot. And they had a program about Zora Neale Hurston, mm -hmm. who was, they mentioned she was part of the Harlem Renaissance. And mm -hmm. I had read um, Their Eyes Were Watching God back yeah. when Alice Walker discovered it. And I sat and thought, and nobody on the BBC panel had heard of it till the, um, um, they read it the week before for the program. And I was trying to think, were there other women in the Harlem Renaissance? I couldn't think of anybody. I think and they I'm were. I'm wondering if they just got lost in time or... If no, I, I have to look it up, to be honest, but I do think there were. Um, there had to be. There had to be, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure, yeah. like like everything else, the men were <laughs> most the most well-known, but... Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I'm... I'm they, hadn't, they had never heard of their eyes for watching God, really? Really? Wow! Yeah, I've never heard of Sir Neil Hurston. Yeah, until I'm, I'm, the, until the she, she, that book is pretty well known. I, I yeah. guess I I've not heard of it either. I've not heard of of the author or the book title. Oh, okay. Um, um, it's it's a very good. Was, book. Yeah, yeah, it was wonderful. She was discovered, rediscovered by Alice Walker, um, in the somewhere in the seventies. Um, she was an anthropologist and a writer, um, and she didn't really care what anybody thought about her. She did what mm -hmm. she wanted to do, yeah. and she wrote in the vernacular yeah. and published quite a bit, and then was kind of lost to history until Alice Walker discovered her and went to Florida and found what she thought might be her grave, but then they didn't know if it was her grave but they're sure that she was buried in that graveyard, so they just picked a grave and she put a gravestone up and um, yeah. 
yeah, really, there was a renaissance about her. Mm-hmm. But that made me think, you know, who were the other black women writers at this time? I, I'm going to look that up, but I'm sure that there were. I, I cannot yeah. imagine. I think like in NH, though, the women's um, writings were more personal and it didn't get as much of a read as yeah. men's works did. I mean, yeah, otherwise, was, George Eliot wouldn't have had to go around using a man's name. <laughs> you know, it right. was just tougher for women to get any kind of uh, recognition in art, in music, in yeah. anything. I mean... You were expected to be decorative and, okay. oh, it's lovely she plays the piano, but nobody would really pay attention if she was trying to compose. You know, it's that kind of thing. It's Mm -hmm. um, because of the complete suppression of women and their abilities and talents, very seldom did they get um, widespread fame. I, I asked Odessa, and, and, and she mentioned the, the writer that you mentioned, Sally. And the only other person she mentioned was a dancer, Josephine Baker. So, yeah, not that we can go with what Odessa says as being uh, the end all and, and know all, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, call, I call her that so, so I won't trigger the. Uh, oh, the, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, thought so. that's who you meant, Alan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering if we can talk about the next book. Yeah. Is it almost the hour? Um, yeah. So, the next book is, it's supposed to be a very good story. Um, I've, I've not read it yet. I think it falls in the human relations genre. Um, and there might be a touch of romance, which I like. I know not everybody always likes romance. I like romance. Yeah. It's called <laughs> See? Um, Nora, N-O-R-A, Nora Goes Off Script. And the author is Annabelle Monahan. And the DB number is 108657. Um, the book is, is shorter. It's about seven hours. Um, and again, the, um, the DB number is 108657. 108, so that's for next time. Yeah, but I, 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 I just want everybody, because this, you know, I was. I was a little nervous about this discussion. I thought to myself, I don't know how this is going to go. And actually it was really delightful. I mean, yes. you're all, you're all really great. You great comments. You talked about, you know, classic books that you've enjoyed over the years. And I, I really enjoyed the discussion tonight. So, so thank you so much, everybody. This was an excellent discussion. It yes. was. Yes. It was yes. great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, thank everyone. you, Michelle. And we'll see y'all. I said, it's month. just a hard book to read. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Indeed. And yeah. Alan, do you want to mention the book for your group and the date? And Yeah, uh, February 21st, Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. So uh, we've already talked a little bit about it. So. The, the best Barbara Kingsolver book I've ever read, and I'm almost done with it. Very good. Excellent. Yeah, good I've good. read almost everything except this one, so... Um, I, I have a feeling that the character list I'm going to have for this is probably going to go through Excel. <laughs> yeah. I, Alan, I was thinking yeah. how he, yeah. he has got so many people to write down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to be tough. A lot of them will get left out, but uh, whatever. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good night, everybody. Well, maybe there'll be some people that we can actually like. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, guys. So may I mention my banquet? Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Good night, Sally. Um, What happened? Some people left. Go ahead and say your banquet. Okay, well, banquet of books. Second Sunday, that is a week from Sunday, on the 12th of February. Day of the <clears throat> Super Bowl. But anyway, I hope that people will come to my banquet. And everybody here knows what we do in banquet. But the thing that we do most, the best, is what, that we welcome everybody to banquet. We want people there. And uh, 
we look forward to all the books that people have to tell us about. And I'm going to have some surprises when we go to banquet. Okay. I'm looking forward to it, Joni. I've been mostly rereading um, books I liked as a child just to see if I still like them. (laughs) That's good. Okay, guys. Well, I'm going to say good night and thank you all for coming and uh, great, great discussion. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad I've got this one under my belt now. So, uh, so. Everybody, everybody, take right. care. Stay safe. Stay warm if you you're too, in Alan. a cold place. Yes. <laughs> All right. Good night. Good night. Take care, everybody.